Hello and welcome to The Domain of Women, a podcast highlighting the stories and ideas of women in social sciences. I'm Olivia Maynard, and today I will be taking you inside the field of archaeology with the hosts of The Dirt podcast, Anna Goldfield and Amber Zambelli. The Dirt is a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and the human past, and educates listeners on aspects of all of those topics. I've been a huge fan of The Dirt for a while now, so it was so surreal to get to sit down and chat with them. Let's just jump right into my conversation with Anna and Amber. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Anna Goldfield. I, my PhD is in the archaeology of sort of early human evolution and specifically Neanderthals and their diet and metabolism and how that may have played into Neanderthal extinction. Um, but since then, I have since since completing my PhD in 2017. I've sort of moved on to um, a career in science communication, and a big part of that was starting the dirt with Amber. And um, I have written for sapiens.org, which is a sort of online anthropology journal. And uh, as of now, I am part of a team on Minnesota Public Radio staff that creates kids' podcasts about science and history and stuff. So it's like my dream job. Yeah, so um, I'm Amber Zambelli. My background is, um, I don't think atypical, but it is it is a bit unconventional, uh, which sort of says more about conventions than like the people who, who don't follow them. Okay. Um, and so um, I, I went to undergrad with Anna. So that's how we met about 15 years ago. Mm. Um, <laughs> A little bit longer than that, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and so I have an undergraduate degree in classical and Near Eastern archaeology. I joined a PhD program um, in Near Eastern studies, where I was going to be pursuing the archaeology of the pre-Islamic Arabian Peninsula. Um, I, I left that program um, in my second year, um, largely due to um, a mental health crisis. And uh, so I got very sick and I withdrew from my program and, and sort of moved, waffled for many years, moved towards um, education outreach, specifically in uh, sort of what's called international and area studies. Um, and so in the, the realm of um, Western Asia, Western Central Asia and North Africa. Um, and um, also like, during that time, I started moving towards a like, uh, so my, when I was in high school, my senior capstone project was on um, writing, editing, and publishing. And so I did a um, sort of collection of short stories that I sort of took through the whole process and then self-published. And, and so that was, that was a sort of long-time love of, of mine. And so I started picking up a bit more in writing. Um, both fiction and non. Um, and so having this, this opportunity with Anna to start the dirt was a way for me to um, sort of take some ownership back over the knowledge that I possess and my capacity to gain more knowledge, my capacity to share and educate. Um, and and it, it, it did, it's done a lot for my, my self-esteem and also sort of my, my goals in research and dissemination of information. And so my interests now are largely in the um, history of anthropology and the history of archaeological practice. And um, that that is very much informed by my own experience and my own past and sort of the, um, the, the legacies that I was following or impacted by. And, and so I am um, I I am a prospective graduate student, so I'm hoping that soon I'll be able to um, go back and pursue a PhD in history of science. So coming from a background in archaeology into something new. Gender is an extremely complicated part of identity, and not only does it shape our perceptions of self, but it also affects how others perceive us. I feel like it's important to acknowledge the spectrum of gender, especially in a space called the domain of women, because being a woman can mean different things to different people. That being said, I did ask Anna and Amber about their own gender identities and felt like it was necessary to include it to contextualize the rest of the interview. Take a listen. So pronouns are complicated. Uh, I use she, they pronouns, um, but she is fine. 
this is so this is the quandary that I face when because I want to to answer your questions and help you but I, as far as like women in archaeology go um, I don't necessarily identify fully with like woman um, and so my experience and especially because um, I don't necessarily present as particularly feminine and so I think my experience in the field both literally in the field in archaeology and sort of more broadly in anthropology, I'm not sure that my experience would be comparable to someone who does present as more feminine and who who um, identifies as as you know woman, girl, whatever. Um, that said, um, I think that my experience is partially, I think, informed by. Um, perceptions of gender. Again, gender is complicated. Um, she, her works, also she, they works for me, but I, um, I present very femme uh, and I always have. So uh, that's, that's something that informs sort of my, that does inform my experience um, and uh, in, both in the field, literally and uh, figuratively. I am a massive fan of podcasts, and my love for them definitely nudged me towards starting this project. I've listened to The Dirt for quite a while now, and since I had the opportunity to ask them anything, I simply wanted to know about what the best part of getting to do their show is. I can't believe they let us do this. <laughs> they. But they. It's, it turns out it's really not that difficult to record yourself <laughs> in a microphone, yeah, speaking into a microphone and, and putting it on, you know. Apple podcast or whatever. Wait, is that the most? No, no, no. I, no, I <laughs> just, just like mean, that I can. <laughs> yeah, I just. Okay, uh, I thought that was like your answer. <laughs> like, is it your answer? Well, I just, I love how accessible podcasting oh. <laughs> is in general, like to do and to receive. To yeah. Um, but I also just really love that I get to learn about, because I am interested. The problem that I had in grad school was that you have to focus on a single project. And yes, I still love, you know, trying to figure out the Paleolithic and I, I think it's really cool. And I think Neanderthals are really fascinating, but I really got burned out on that one thing for a couple of years. Just like, don't talk to me. And my mom, I had to tell my mom to stop sending me Neanderthal articles because she, <laughs> she'd see something online and be like, please, I love you, please stop. <laughs> I'm so tired. Uh, so with the dirt, because we cover a different topic every week, I get to learn something different every week and kind of dive into new research every week. And that is perfect for the way that my brain works. Um, and it's it, that's what I really love doing. And I also love that I get to, you know, do this with one of my very best friends and we just get to like hang out every week and, get really excited about something or sort of like commiserate about something, yeah. you know, either there's ups and downs, but we, um, that it's this sort of shared experience that people bafflingly really seem to enjoy. Yeah. Like those are the three things like that we get to do it at all, that it's so varied and exciting to do and that people like it. I, yeah, I definitely can echo the, uh, the fact that we get to do it at all, even though I made fun of it. Um, because it's something that like what we're actually doing as like real science communication and like real writing and real research um, is just so encouraging to me and so refreshing to me because I, well, but no, because specifically like as it being something that we can do, that we are allowed to do, that we're permitted to do um, because I have um, I feel like, I feel like I'm in a job interview. One of my biggest weaknesses. Um, like, I think that one of my, like one of my, truly one of my weaknesses and sort of the, the, um, is my desire to, to do things the like conventional way, um, to show that I can and like to win, like to, to like win by their rules kind of thing. Um, oh, but it's not worked out great. And so, you know, like by like, going to a prestigious graduate program or like prestigious undergraduate program, like, like doing things like that. Um, I am trying, I wrote a novel that I am um, trying to find an agent for, like trying to go through like traditional literary, like pathways to do these things. 
Um, I am always amazed by people that manage to like write entire books that are like brilliant and well-researched um, just like on their own, like without access to uh, an academic library or, or like training and things like that. Like I, and I think people who have self-published, like, I, I think it's great. I think right. it's incredible. Um, and it's not that I um, think that they are like not doing it like they're they're very much doing it they're more successfully than I am but I, I have this desire to like want not to do like, it right well not right like like by like the people who like seek to exclude me from from sort of these spaces like trying to like win like beat them at their own game kind of thing um and that's not uh particularly productive for me um and uh, and so the fact that I have, um, after four years going on five of doing this program with Anna, like people, people think that I know things and people, you do know things, but I know, but like, but like, yeah, I know that. Yeah. And so like, we're seen as, as, um, there are people who, um, who, who think I'm insightful and, and like, and, and, you know, like, but you know, like, I, I have felt often felt like a sidekick in my own show just because of that sort of what I'm trying to anticipate the perception of others um, because like Anna has a PhD and that matters to a lot of people um, and I don't because I dropped out and so like having a lot of those, those like residual feelings about that um, and part of me wanting to go back to school is this like this the feeling that I have when we interview someone or that we talk to someone and to like hear their thoughts and share my thoughts and for them to be like, oh, and not being like, okay. And just sort of like back away. Uh, so that's something that is it, like, that it is accessible to do. And um, that's been- And that we have a, a, a niche to- Yeah. To and so in a deeply personal way, like that's been very valuable to me. But the other thing that um, I, I can, I will never get over. And it's something that means so much to me and, and informs so much of why I, um, why I do the show and, and what I want the show to be, um, is that people reach out to us to say that they feel seen and that they feel represented, um, because Anna and I each inhabit identities like, and, and sort of facets of like life in the world that um, aren't always represented in um, conventional conventional research or uh, sort of public consciousness yeah, of the, the past. Yeah, the stuff that goes out to the public on major, you know, yeah. major media outlets. And, and so we try and, and people respond to, like when we've talked about, when we've talked about things like, um, people who exist outside gender binaries and even just like the existence of like the, the absence, the potential absence of gender at all. Um, and as, yeah. And so like talking about that, talking about people with physical disabilities, yeah. uh, talking about mental illness, um, and, 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 and invisible disabilities, talking about people of size, talking about, um, different sexualities and not just because so much of it is just like, oh, we've like just this, this idea of, you know, we found a queer person in the archeological record and it's just like, you know, like Alexander the Great, who's like a super twink is just like how it's like represented. And it's like, well, actually like they're like, you know, there are different, different bodies and different relationships and different minds. And so when people reach out to us and either say like, I, um, we, we had somebody who like reached out and was just like over the moon that we had talked about asexuality and, and they were just like, ah, and we have people who talked about, um, you know, we've had people write in who, who are disabled and, and we, we've talked about perhaps, um, an analogous disability or something that like like gives like, them a, I didn't know this gives them a different like a yeah. similar lived experience and sort of moving through space and, and society and just the, the the kind of liberation it comes with that of both being like oh I can I can I can study myself I don't just have to study like able-bodied twinks if I want to look at like like um like gender and sexuality in the past mm -hmm. um and and so 
that's always, that always means so much to me. And, and the, the stories that come out when we talk to our guests about like their sort of winding paths to their research or, um, and, and just like, yeah, not everybody has the cut and dried, like I went to the school and then I went to the yeah. school and then I did this and this. And, and because that's not, that isn't how life works. And that isn't how research it's works. Really and it isn't, works. yeah. Are messy. And so the, the fact that the, the fact that the show can mean more to people than just like learning some cool facts. Yeah, it's fun to listen. Like to. there's like a sort of transcendent element of, of learning about, of really like learning about people as people and, and learning about people who aren't like you, but also learning about people who are like you that you never knew existed. Um, that I think is just like really, um, really beautiful and healing um, for, for our listeners. The question I was most interested in knowing the answer to was, have you felt pressure or had people expect you to study specific topics or look at specific issues because of your gender or identity? Speaking from personal experience, I know that there was always certain ideas of what I should pursue or what I should be interested in, and I assume to some extent that this experience is universal. I talked with Anna and Amber about it, and here's what they both had to say. So for Paleolithic studies, so early human stuff, um, I think there's less of an emphasis on, well, that's not true. I think there's less pressure to um, look at issues of, of gender and sort of um, gendered experiences only because it's so far in the past that it's very, very difficult to get at those things. And so to some extent you can determine whether, depending on what bits and pieces you have, uh, you can determine whether an individual was biologically male or female. Um, you can use other aspects of the archaeological record, like um, you know, evidence of diet to look at who was hunting and who was gathering, kind of. But the the picture is so cloudy that I think that any pressure to really um, get at gender roles or anything of that nature is, it, it's very difficult. And so people do um, sort of address those questions, but I think there's there's not really pressure on, on me as a person in the Paleolithic field to do that, which is good for me. That's, I, I, I appreciated that about, about studying that, that depth of time, which is just, yeah, I just wanted to know, I mean, for my purposes, the importance of the difference between male and female in humans and Neanderthals was that they have different uh, caloric needs. Like that was really the biggest difference that I cared about was that females burn slightly fewer calories. Thinking about like pressure versus expectations. And, and, uh, and so I think the two of us have, um, well, I'll only speak for myself. Uh, so we both went to um, a women's college. So we- Joke's so, on them. <laughs> and, and so um, like that is something where, so going to Bryn Mawr College where we did, um, there was a present thread of gender, mm. like gender studies. And, um, and so we would- I had a course, I had a class called Women in the Ancient Near East. Um, and so we we looked at women, we looked at um, gendered female, uh, like persons and spaces and activities. Um, and so that's something that um, comes up, um, that, that, that you learn about in a space like that, that you wouldn't learn about if you were at, uh, and also small school, small school, small program, Quite few small, students, yeah. there were like nine people in my like lady class. And it was, um, and, and like, that was like, there were maybe, there were maybe 75 majors in the entire school. Mm -hmm. So, you in, know, like in archeology, span yeah, like, yeah. In the archeology span department, like of all four years. So, you know, it's small. So, you know, you would have you could do explore things like that. But if you're at a, when I was at Berkeley, there weren't really classes like that um, just because of the, you know, the vagaries of student populations and course requirements and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, so it's something that I don't know in hindsight, if it was, if it was sort of the expectation that, well, okay, there is the expectation and kind of the, the idea that if, 
if, if somebody is talking about women in the ancient Near East, they're probably a woman. And, and, and that's sort of like that you don't have, um, it is, it is seen as like that research topic is seen as the domain of the person who, who shares an identity with it, um, which is a shame because it isn't, because it is it's sort of like, well, like, what are we, what are we considering to be the domain of everyone else? Like, like who, and, yeah. and it's, and it's like a, a holdover of who has been doing archaeology, the like for most of it, the discipline's life. Um, but I, I do remember personally thinking that um, holding views about uh, sort of the, the, the gender differentiation in research subjects in my department. So um, in Near Eastern studies, there was, um, you know, art, it, 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 archaeology, art history, uh, language, um, like religious studies, and sort of those, all of those things kind of fold into that department. And the people who were doing uh, field work, who were doing excavation-based research and who were getting their insights and like going out in the field were, um, were men or like mask people. And I remember in my first year being judgy. Like I, I was at a, I was at a point, like I'm willing to recognize that um, like, I like I have grown and like my my feminism has grown and I have I have sort of um, matured in my my views and my takes and my sort of um, how I how I choose to classify people in my mind um, and I remember sitting in a it was a um, it was just one of the graduate seminars this you know people of multiple years are in it and it was an art history seminar. So it was my second semester and, you know, I had my first semester and I was like, good grad school. And then I went to my old site, the, the site that I'd worked at previously with um, my undergraduate advisor and the team that I knew. Um, and then I came back and I was just like, all right. And I was really um, disappointed what, at the time. I was like, I, was, I, was, I, felt, um, I felt that these women in my class were letting women down because they were choosing to pursue um, indoor, like basically indoor research. So folks who were doing stuff specifically in the lab, people who are looking at old collections, like collections materials and doing uh, like analysis of figurines or just doing these um, like, or things that were excavated from a site, you know, 30 years ago uh, that deal with sort of um, domestic architecture or some kind of like family, family religion, things like household gods and things like that. And I was just really disappointed. So at the time I thought that they were acting on this and that perhaps they had been pigeonholed or they were limiting themselves or they were afraid of getting a sunburn or like all of these things that like I as like a, like a still confused um, and, and like kind of um, uh, just like at like unsettled. Uh, first, like first year student, just trying to figure out the nature of this graduate program and sort of academe. Um, but I was really, I was really upset about that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be like that. I don't, I don't care about um, like, like, I don't, I don't want that stuff. But I also don't want like the, you know, the pretty things. I had a, a, a fellow student who was like, I just want to see the pretty things. And I was, mm. and I, I was just like, Ugh. and so as far as like expectations and pressure, um, clearly there was something there. If I would felt that I was retaliating, yeah, that I was retaliating against it. And um, I, what I learned in the months to come and like in like, as my experience in the field progressed uh, was that there are other reasons why you end up in a field like that. And I was sort of, um, I was, I was participating and perpetuating like a, a framework that, um, that just, that sort of lets us all down. So who really was letting women down? I think it was me, uh, but I've forgiven myself, but, but that's Arguably something that the system. Well, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, but that's, so that's something that I, um, that, that I, I still think about often of, of just sort of 
um, I came in with a set of expectations and, um, and also just the, the, the nature of behavior, like in the classroom and in the field. And so I, um, not all of my uh, behaviors are sort of in alignment with sort of like gender norms. And so I was seen as um, aggressive or cocky or, or just like um, difficult in um, sort of carrying myself and communicating and sort of expressing my opinions and my thoughts um, as um, not differently than how my uh, more masculine colleagues might. And so that was something that I found because coming from um, coming from a very different a, a, an environment with very different gender dynamics and sort of like gender balance or even just the um, the specter of gender like manifested differently oh at Bryn Mawr. <laughs> but coming from that, like into this space where there are people who just have gone to co-ed schools the whole time that are like just that um, are just taught that's, that's to act a certain way. I had no, I, like I was really, um, I was thrown a bit by that. Now the incredible show Shigioka, who is an educator and currently an assistant principal, is going to join me so that we can discuss Anna and Amber's ideas and our own thoughts on the expectations that are placed upon women. Last time we met, um, I can't remember her name, was talking about how women tend to sabotage each other. Because mm -hmm. that's exactly what she was talking about, right? Because there's yeah. this framework you're supposed to fit and here's a certain level of expectations, you're supposed to behave this way. So let's try to keep each other in that container. Yeah. And let's not go against, you know, or outside of the box. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why we do that as women, but we we, we have to redefine what that box is. I mean, we need to really just break that box, right? Yeah. And you know how she was talking about we get viewed as aggressive mm -hmm. and cocky, even though those character traits, when they're exhibited by men, the adjectives that we use are very different, right? Yes. Very complimentary. Yes. Um, I'm sure you've seen it everywhere, too. Um, yeah. But that really stood out for me. Yeah. I mean, like, when I was in elementary school, there was, like, you could only have one smart girl. Mm. There was the token mm -hmm. smart girl, right. and then right. you could right. have as many smart boys as you wanted. Mm -hmm. And all of the other girls were seen as... Oh, she's bossy. Right. She just right. wants to be in right. charge. Right. She thinks she knows it all. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we assign those like negative labels and negative yep. connotations yep. to those character traits right. that a lot of people have exactly. from such a young yep. age. And it, what's crazy. so hard is that because it happens at such early age and you noticed it mm -hmm. at elementary school, right? Yeah. So whether you can name it or not, you feel it at the gut level, right? Yeah. And so when you grow up with that, and if you aren't provided with a space where you can question or you can like talk about why am I feeling this way? Yeah. I think our natural tendency is to suppress it and mm -hmm. just accept that as a fact, right? Yeah. And I think that's how we internalize sexism. And that's why um, I just think that one of the best things that we we can do and we should do is to rewrite the narrative yeah right to talk about expectations and and not to be apologetic about mm -hmm. expressing our thoughts yeah. and ideas and feelings um like i you know how we get labeled as old oh, women are just so emotional yeah but when men tear up it's mm -hmm. like oh you are so in touch with your emotion yeah so there's definitely still that yeah, there's still mm -hmm. such a divide. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we normalize it yes, so we much do. We do. that when people are like, we shouldn't be mm -hmm. having to worry mm -hmm. about having these labels for right. different sets right. of people, mm -hmm. people are just like, what? No, mm -hmm. no, that's how it's always been. Like, mm -hmm. just keep doing it, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm glad that she brought it up. Me too. And she named it, right? Because it's, yeah. it's so real. And until you name it, and we talk about it, I don't think we can break that box that I was talking about. Because, and again, because we, we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. And um, once it's internalized and then once it's normalized, 
like question. So yeah. by naming it like how she did it, and by us talking about it, yeah, and carry this conversation outside of this room. Yes, right. That's how we empower women. I followed up by inquiring further about male classmates and how that shapes educational experiences. Traditional gender roles are still apparent in most academic spaces, regardless of level. So here are Amber's thoughts on the matter. And and there's more of that. More of that is sort of codified in in undergraduate um, in a way that I did not that I missed. And so I I had not been I had not spent much time like in the company of of like in co-ed environments in the traditional sense of like boys and girls. Um, like I had not spent time in that environment from the time I was 17 to the time that I was 21, but most of the people around me were in their mid twenties. So I missed on this like huge, I missed out on that, missed out on this huge period oh, of, of um, sort of behavioral shifts in at like the like you know biological and psychological shifts in um in men um just didn't hang out with a lot of 20 something dudes i just like didn't i missed that and then like came out like the other side and like didn't have that context so i wasn't um i don't know i hadn't been acculturated to putting up with things that like other people i think learned as just like normal behavior <laughs> that I like it wasn't it wasn't normal to me and so I didn't I didn't know what to do with it so I sort of was was reinserted to um kind of traditional gender roles in academic spaces um and I uh didn't handle it great and and just sort of like and so what I did was was sort of held um had some animosity or resentment towards other women um, around me and uh, and sort of like a lack of what to do with the the men around me and it was just very very messy it was just sounds like a weird time (laughs) from my understanding there are a lot of opportunities for a change to be made in the field of archaeology I think that that can be said about most of the disciplines within the social sciences, because all of these fields were built on the ideas and beliefs of upper-class white men who did not acknowledge the varying perspectives of other groups of people different from their own. So anthropology fundamentally has a lot of systemic problems, just because of how it began as a discipline. It was white dudes um, reconstructing the past and the experiences of many, 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 many people who were not white dudes. Well, and that's, and that's the archeological side of things like anthropology writ large um, is a product of, of, of colonialism and like the imperial project. And so that's no coincidence and it's quite intentional that the sort of early luminaries of the archeology span of any given place are affluent men um, and then somewhat later affluent women who are a part of military, like the military enterprise, who are a part of the diplomatic arm of things that is also closely intertwined with, uh, with the military. And so it's a way to, it's a way to learn about people for the express purpose of weaponizing that knowledge in order them. to best subjugate them. And so that's what, that's what a lot of it comes from. And there are um, a lot of people in the field of anthropology who um, are quite wedded to the memory of, of these great luminaries. There's oh, one, the good old days. one guy that like comes I, I I attend a, a working group for the history of anthropology and there's a guy who like shows up every so often like a very why are you so mean to Boaz he he just is just like a total Boaz simp and he just comes and is like this is bad history this is like he wasn't a racist and we were like okay thank you like we know you don't think that and so people who like bristle at any kind of critique because they um because I I think that there are people who have modeled themselves in their careers 
after these individuals, yeah. these like forebears in the field. So he's a racist. I'm a racist. Yeah. Oh, and no. I'm obviously not a racist. I'm not. the least racist person I know. Therefore you are wrong. He's not racist. And it's like, yes, but what about all the racist things he said and did? And, and that that's not, and that is not something that is um, unique to anthropology. At its, like at its absolute, um, co- like least common denominator, the like anthropology is rooted in talking about someone else. Describing otherness. And, and, and calling it that and sort of uh, putting a line around a group of people and being like, that's them, not me. And like that is, and so that that's something that um, sort of hardwired to to understand things via categorization. Yeah, and so the, and the um, the multiple turns that have taken that that have occurred in anthropology, and um, I think I think particularly in archaeology and archaeology, depending on where you work, um, has a lot of catching up to do with even the progress that anthropology has made um, in terms of. Um, in pursuit of being scientific, confusing, confusing observation with objectivity. Yeah. And so this is um, like, so I am someone who doesn't believe in objectivity at all. Like there, like, like if, if something, if there is such a thing as objectivity, we as humans can't access it because everything is processed through our brains, our experiences, our biases. Yeah, I can't and, understand anything outside of my own brain. Yeah, like I can't use someone else's brain to perceive the world. I can observe how someone. Yeah, and and listen world. to them tell yeah. you, and and then like decide whether or not I think they're lying to me. Like you can like that. that there's all of that that space for, um, for bias, like all types of biases, and that's just how our brains work, and that's not bad it's just it needs to be recognized yeah and so it's it's just something that um that that kind of forgetting that you are the protagonist of your own brain but you are not the protagonist of reality um that's something that um that that is something that has led to um uh, some bad anthropology well like has led to just these like huge gaps in our knowledge of the past that where where sort of the elderly fit in and where people with disabilities fit in people of of um non-masculine genders like and and sort of all of um all of these things that are based in bias but for much of um much of you know western history the the object like the objective uh perspective or the baseline or the default was that of a like wealthy able-bodied white man who owned property um and you know that is the image in which god created us and um and so trying to move away from that and that is something that is so embedded in all of the work in a lot of people's lives that it is um, there is a long way to go towards um, dismantling that. Um, some people try to there there you know movements to kind of reform. And so, do you reform or do you raise? And and just the the sort of the debate of burn like it down, yeah again. like do do we burn it down and start again? But would we just build it the same way because it's all we know? And so just like that, that's something that is someone else's thing to speculate on. Show has held the title of district administrator for equity and inclusion for many years and continues to work towards the improvement of school communities. I am so glad that I was able to chat with her about this because she brings such a well-rounded perspective and has a lot of insight into what it's like to push for change in this sense. came up with that question. I, as someone who's taken a lot of like history classes mm-hmm. and like race and ethnic studies, mm-hmm. um, we talk about like, okay, we've learned all of this stuff about what's happened, what do we do? And I feel like what do we do is important, but also how do we do it? Because we, like anthropology as a whole was built to 
examine otherness. Exactly, exactly. And, and highlight otherness. And highlight right? otherness. Yeah. We know that change needs to happen. We obviously know that there are things that we still are working on and working towards. But how do we do that? Because there are so many factors that have led us down one path. Do we continue down that path and hope that we can change it? Or do we just try something new? When this is all over, I need to interview you. Because <laughs> I want to hear about your educational journey and your personal like, growth like journey. I'm just speechless right now. I'm just so wowed by your your level of um, really the inquisitiveness that you have mm-hmm. in applying what you have learned in those classes yeah. in that real world context. Because to me, that's what education is all about. Yes. So again, okay, when this is done, I, if you're okay with being interviewed, I'd love. To I would ask love you to talk questions. with you about it. Oh my gosh! Because really, what you just said about. Because you learn about historical legacy of sexism, racism, and how that perpetuates in every system that you see, right? Yeah. So you want to know, so what do I do with it? Yeah. I'm going to go with it, right? Yeah. And that's why you're doing this project, but um, oh my gosh. Can you see my goosebumps? <laughs> yeah. And I, I really appreciate the Amber. Is that Amber, right? Yes, Anna. Amber. Amber. Um, and recognizing that too, and especially, and again, as a woman, and also as a white woman, yeah. Um, and like, I, I don't understand that experience of being white because I, I never yeah. will. Um, but I think we need to go in with the understanding is that the field was never leveled to begin with. No. Right. And especially in these fields, again, they have been set up with this, with the perpetuation of white supremacy, mm-hmm. male dominance, yeah. right? This Western Christian-based ideology. Precisely. And when we talked about, it's about studying otherness, but studying otherness with this with this intent that somebody's better than mm-hmm. the others, right? Yeah. Um, and unless we go in with the understanding that the playing field is not the home, we'll continue to perpetuate that myth. Right? Yeah, that everybody is equal, because mm-hmm. it's not. It hasn't it's been not. established that way. No. Um, and when she was talking about, I'm putting words in her mouth. This ideology of whiteness as property, mm-hmm. right? That it's the white folks that own certain things, and, and there's a value attached to it. And, um, so studying that and understanding the historical legacies and how that still impacts, I mean, that should be the main purpose of anthropology and archaeology. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, she is like really changing like more like the foundation uh-huh. of what the field is about. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what we need to have more people like like those two and, and, um, and you and other people with an understanding. In a very male-dominated field such as archaeology, there is still a great power imbalance between men and women. I just want to issue a content warning for this next bit because Amber does share a very powerful story about abuse and harassment. So if you'd like to skip that part, I'll put timestamps down below of where you can skip to. I truly appreciate Amber's trust and willingness to share the story because it is so important that people, and especially women, know about this. But I had, I had mentioned that, you know, in my first year, I was quite judgmental of the other women um, in my department and, and just like critical of their research questions because I felt that it was them um, letting us down or giving in or being too like prissy or something. Like, I don't know. I don't, it's lady science. It's hard for, for me to it's hard for me to like access that that point because I don't hold those views anymore, but I definitely know that I did then and it informed like some of my like decisions and things. But um in my second year I went um you know, I was already struggling with my mental health, which is also something quite gendered um, because I was emotional and I was unstable and I was all of these things that this woman's hysterical. And, and so I, I was just I was just kind of this um, a bit of a manic pixie dream girl, like in my first year. And it was a and, and it was it was something that um, there were aspects of my lived experience that were not seen. They, they were not 
like sort of perceived because I was kind of occupying this, this uh, kind of slot in, in sort of everyone's like understanding of the department and the world around them. Um, and so I, I went into the field, I, I had a field project that I joined and it was um, really exciting. And it was like this amazing site that's really important and like recognize it's UNESCO World Heritage Site and the person working and I was like, I was starting to think that maybe I should leave Berkeley. And I was like, okay, if I get here, I'm gonna make, net, I'm gonna network. I'm gonna be able to like go somewhere else and then like get my own site and it'll be amazing. And I'll, be, laid plans. And I'll be doing like, I'll be doing like real science, like real archeology, span not this like BS that they're doing, like sitting in the library. And I'm like, no, I'm doing it. Um, and I was, I was warned about the, like the sort of um, the dangers of joining this site by someone on the site. And just as like through the, basically the whisper network that the person who was the, the PI on this project and sort of this um, sort of giant in my field uh, had a history of harassment and the previous year had assaulted a student um, like her first day on site. And so I was told that if I wanted to come, I was more than welcome. They would love to have me, but I needed to agree not for my own safety, not to go anywhere alone in a car with him, not to be in an elevator alone with him, not to do this, not to but do that. That shouldn't be something you, that shouldn't right. have to happen. And so, and there were rules around, you know, I needed to get two liters of alcohol, like two like liter bottles of liquor at duty free, uh, because that's the maximum you could bring into the country, because uh, it was a dry country, and bring them and give them over, and I'd get reimbursed for them. And he kept them, and then when we were good, he'd bring them out and let us have drinks. But usually, he just drank them because um, he um, was a severe alcoholic too. Um, and I say too because they're different, they're different. You can you can have like a substance use disorder and not be an abusive person. And the inverse is true yeah. too. Turns out he, he was, yeah, he was a real uh, two for one. Um, and I got there and I remember um, getting there and being like, well, you know, I don't take any shit and I'm really serious. Like I am, you know, I'm very like serious and like here to work. no nonsense. And like, I'm not going to put up with it. So like, I don't think, cause I thought at that point being young and, and ignorant and, um, and a bit full of myself, I thought that, you know, the, the sort of the shyer ones or the shrinking violets or somebody who was like the, the same, the kind of advice they give you about like the light, like if you're going to walk down the street, like, don't like, you know, you you got to like look confident and, and not look like, you Keep know, head up, not that look, your keys. not like, look like you'd be like easy to, not easy to, to mug, like yeah. sort of thinking like that. And, and one of my, my, um, older female colleagues was like, no, that's what he likes because like, that's, and because I did not know anything about sort of the nature of abuse and, and sort of, especially like structural, like sort of systemic abuse. Um, and that field season was horrible. Um, it was, um, it was very scary. Um, I was unsafe. Um, and I, we, there were environments where we would be on site and it was mostly women. Um, and he would make, he would make a comment to someone else. Um, and nobody would know what to do. Like we didn't, we didn't know what to do because like, what are you going to do? Um, and because you're thinking about like, well, if I say something now, then what will happen to me and what will happen later? We all lived in the same house. And it's just this, this sense of like your entire world becomes your field site and your field team. And um, that was, it was an extreme, like I, it was traumatic for other reasons, but it was an extremely traumatic experience for me. And to see the, the experience of being uh, a like femme person on a site. Um, and it was only after that, that I started to understand other things that had happened to me. And I started to understand why women in my department 
and because I learned more about the department I was in and I learned more about, and you know, I mentioned the whisper network. You start learning about these things to say, oh, I was, I was here with him. And they said like, oh my goodness, like I like, I'm so sorry. And it's like, that, that's how people start things. And you start to learn about um, where people have worked. And then you see like shifts that they make in their career. And um, sometimes it's informed by, um, it's informed by assault or abuse or, or witnessing it. And so I'm, um, my experience on that site was not like the experience of some of my other colleagues. Uh, and I feel fortunate for that, but it is, but it took me years and like a lot of therapy to sort of come to terms with the impact that being in a space like that has. Um, and, and being in a dynamic like that has. And so while I never voiced, to my knowledge, never voiced anything or um, expressed any, anything negative or untoward towards my colleagues for like their decisions, um, I later felt um, ashamed and like deeply apologetic that I had thought that they were letting that they were you know letting us down or making us look bad or some kind of us so just like women um as if like that as if that category like as if you can make it a monolith yeah as if that category like holds so much like glue binding us together when it's actually like so many more other factors that are brought into things that intersect um but i i i, I feel quite badly for for holding that view because i um, having gone to the, my undergraduate program, I did having the advisor that I had and being in that space where I was, um, I was safe and I was respected and I was heard and I had, I, I, I collaborated. I, I, you know, then that's something that I thought was normal. Like I thought my experience was like normal. And then I went to grad school and was like, no, oh, no. what I had wasn't normal. And I was resentful of my, my department for a while because I was like, you never, like the worst thing that you did was like, make me think that I was going to be safe. And, um, and I eventually like worked past that, but, but that's something that um, therapy is great for that. But but now I understand why you can you can be someone who is in a PhD program who is like, well, I need to, um, like, I want to do this work. I, I want to complete this, like just to have it done. Uh, but I also want to keep working on this, but how can I do it in a way that doesn't endanger me? Yeah, it doesn't bring me into contact. With and so sometimes that means working and not that, not that museums are not without the same issues, um, but that means like at the end of the day, you can go home to your own home that has maybe a partner in it or like children or pets. It's a, it's a safe space. Like it is your space and, and you have that, that security of knowing that, um, that you know your work is yours and your, your, your physical body is yours. And, and it's something that um, I, I, I think is, is, um, probably the biggest barrier to, to equity in, in the field sciences, not just in, in archaeology. And that's something that is starting to be talked about more and more in the past five years. And there keep being articles released in like major peer reviewed journals, like that have like the science and you have people who are like, oh my God, it's so awful. And it's like, yeah, dumb, dumb. You were there. You just didn't know it. And, and then you have, you have people being like, well, I never thought that like I never would have imagined that you know this person would like behave would be this way, and it's just like, well, of course not. That's like that's how it works. Like yeah. that that's how like that's how successful abuse happens. Like abusers have different faces that they show to different people. Like if if the abuser has one face that they show everyone, that person's just an asshole. Like it's not really like abuse. <laughs> like if it's You're not, just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. but nobody likes you. Um, so that's that that is kind of my big reveal about sort of my, my trajectory. Prestige. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's something that I, um, something that I've alluded to on the show before, um, but it's something that I've never quite found the right space in which to kind of expound upon it because um, 
ultimately like the show is like a celebration of like what we can know. Um, and, and while I certainly don't want to um, be like a Pollyanna about it, um, I, uh, I'm the last person I think that would be a Pollyanna about anything. I'm deeply cynical, um, but it, it's just something that I don't want, I don't want it to overshadow sort of what I want people to take away from it because I still do love, I still do love it. I miss it like every day. Um, and, and I am like, like deeply grateful to find a way to keep sort of research and learning, um, and the field in my life, even as I have moved away from, uh, what I thought was the way to do archeology. span Yeah. And one of the things that I think we try to emphasize as much as possible on the show is that not only is there no one correct way to do archaeology, there's no one correct way to do humanity. Well, I mean, there's all there are some incorrect ways to do humanity. <laughs> See, for example, the jackhole abuser. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, we try to um, to really emphasize the the breadth of human experience and, and the ways that we can attempt to understand that. Obviously, we can't, can't really get there, but we can try. Yeah, they yeah. will never stop trying. Nope. Can I ask you a question? How did this come about? So you were just asking about what change you want to, they want to see happen in the field. Yeah. And that kind of invited her to just yeah. talk about this. Yeah, she's just like, we need to be more aware that the, these things happen and then she like told this story and she's like this needs to change oh my gosh i mean you your project is just incredible on so many different levels but one thing i i want you to take away is that when you do create that space for people to tell their stories they'll, they'll tell you right because you didn't go in with any preconceived ideas or assumptions you provided the safe space um, and that's the gift that you gave her and then that, that's the gift that i know that you'll continue to give others through your work so thank you for doing that yeah i was just so honored that she like trusted me it's right. like she barely knows right. me we had only right. talked for like an hour at that point and oh my gosh. she just Clearly it was needed to be right. said. That's it. That's it. So, it needed to be told. And she's right. like, she told me, she's like, I've never had the opportunity to like, or like the time, it's never been the time or the place. And so the fact that like, I was able to give her that space so that she could be honest. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to carry that legacy with me too. After this. Thank you. I, ju I just have to remember that. Yeah. And thanks for modeling. Yeah. And it's just... I know this happens in many fields. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we feel like we can't talk about it, we don't have the time, we don't have the space, is it relevant, is it yeah. appropriate, that we constantly question ourselves, right? Um, so what I was saying earlier about that we shouldn't have to apologize for wanting to express our thoughts and ideas and our experience, this is so connected, it's just, we. Let's, let's not apologize. Let's, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it saddens me. Yeah. Um, and it angers me. And it pushes me to do more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when she was questioning about, should I say something? Am I safe to speak up? If I speak up, what would happen? Right? Those questions are so legit. Because when you are in this gonna danger zone our natural response is one of the three things right it's it's fight flight or freeze right mm -hmm. and i think we often freeze yeah and and i think sometimes we get criticized for freezing but it's okay to freeze because wow. again we have to protect ourselves right mm -hmm. as long as we can unfreeze ourselves by again talking about it labeling it yeah right informing others um sorry i this, this was a really yeah powerful segment yeah i'm glad i was able to share it with you and i'm glad she shared it with me
We have much to share with others. That is all for this episode. I hope you were able to learn more about the field of archaeology from two perspectives, as well as hear more about femininity in academia as a whole. I want to say a huge thank you to Anna and Amber for trusting me with their stories and sharing their wisdom. Please check out the Dirt podcast. It is so fun and informative and just an excellent podcast overall. There's a link to it in the show notes below. You can find me on Twitter at Olivia N. Maynard for podcast updates and other upcoming projects. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Bye. 